Welcome to the Two Degrees Hotter podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Anya. And I'm Kylie. And we're two recent college graduates navigating young adult life in Boston, documenting it for you along the way. From college advice to post-grad problems, we're here to open the conversation of what it's like to be a 20-something, just figuring it out. We're excited you're tuning in on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you like to listen. And we hope you enjoy this podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Two Degrees Hotter. Hello, hello, everyone. We hope you're really excited for our first guest episode today. Yes, we are super excited about today's episode. So this is our first interview episode. This is the first time we're bringing someone onto the pod. So today we are talking to Sarah Graysdorf, and she is the founder and CEO of a company called Hold Debt. So Holdet is a female-empowered workwear company that is aiming to create a suit for women that has eight functional pockets. Um, they have a great community base in their company, and we got to sit down and talk with Sarah about how it all came to life and what they're up to. Yeah, so we hope you stick around this whole episode and listen to everything Sarah has to say. She has some really amazing insight about uh, being a female CEO, female entrepreneur, and kind of how her college experience lent itself to a lot of her success. So um, it's a really great episode. Um, the small disclaimer is we are being very safe and socially distanced and recording remotely. So if you have um, any audio issues, rest assured, we're trying our best. Um, but we hope you guys really enjoy listening to her. Um, but before that, why don't we get into our segments? So I, this past week, got a little update from my law school, which wasn't super informative, but it was an <laughs> Are update. Are they ever? They're so big. <laughs> they're so, they're always just exactly what you already know and don't give you any definitive answers, at least with the whole situation. And I respect the fact that everything is very day by day. But basically, we got a super long email saying that they're sticking with our academic calendar, but they have not decided whether classes will be in person or not. And I know this is particularly relevant because I was reading about how Harvard in particular, and I'm sure other schools as well, um, students are signing petitions asking for start dates to be pushed back to when in-person classes can resume instead mm-hmm. of sticking to the academic calendar and starting online and transitioning in person. Um, I don't necessarily know if I agree that that's the best plan of action. Like I'd rather keep my life timeline in right. place and work around that. But I also understand from like a tuition aspect, like you paying so much for an experience that isn't necessarily Ideal. what you signed up for. Um but yeah, so I figured I'd I'd give that share that little update with everyone. It's definitely I know it's it is what it is, but it is very frustrating to not really know what is gonna happen. Yeah, you know, in three months time. Funny that you bring that up because um, so today was actually my first full time day at work, which I'll get into a little bit in a second. But as far as like timeline for you know operations and whatnot we also kind of talked about that today and we'll get more clarity later this week but basically the communication that I've received so far is that um, I shouldn't expect to be back in person in the office prior to July and um, Mm -hmm. I know that my previous employer I spoke to um, some of my colleagues there and they said that they have been told through Labor Day 
um, at the earliest they will be returning. So wow. Uh, yeah, my work at home setup is not good enough to withstand all these months. Um, so I'm going to play it by ear, but I'm thinking before July, I will likely be returning to my apartment just to be a little more productive. Um, but we'll see, I guess, um, how things play out. But yeah, the timeline and like the uncertainty is so it's like, we're both such planners and like, this is the mm-hmm. least we've been able to plan like literally ever. So it's just, yeah. it's tough. It's, um, it's tough being type A in this environment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so speaking of my first day, um, it went really well. It's funny. Cause I think the episode before this, I'm just saying how um, I, I'm taking a break. And then this episode, I'm like, just kidding. First day. Um, <laughs> and that's on recording out of order, ladies and gentlemen, yes. <laughs> um, but probably mostly ladies. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was good. Um, on like a more, I don't know, on a different note, um, I have been watching Mad Men and I noticed that they're taking it off Netflix on June 10th. And I'm only like halfway through the show. I'm like middle of season four and there's like seven seasons. So I have a really hard decision to make because I don't know if I should give up or if I should try to cram the remainder of the show in such a limited time frame. Like I just genuinely don't know what to do. And I don't know what network it's moving to either. Interesting. Do you know if I'm assuming it's not available on like Amazon Prime or anything like that? I don't know. I think maybe the reason that the Netflix is dropping them is because it's going to become available somewhere else. But was it like an HBO show? Like, do you know? I don't know what it was originally on, actually. Um, But it's like, if you know Mad Men, you know, it's like the slowest show ever. Like it takes so long to get interesting. And it's finally interesting. And I don't want to give it up now. But I feel like I have to I don't know, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna try to cram as much as I can. But yeah, you can't give up once you're into it, you have to You'd regret if you were like, oh, I really wish that I, because you can't, you, there's a possibility that you'll finish it and you don't want to have any regrets with Mad Men. <laughs> I just like, I can't believe the like warning is so small. Like check all your favorite shows, people, because they're not that explicit about the fact that they're leaving you. It's like a very fine print in the beginning of the episode. So just saying yeah. it's a little shady at this time. Like how rude, you know? how rude how inconsiderate I know at this in this stage of humanity they're really going to be out here doing this to us like come on I know it's the same with the office I know the office is being taken off Netflix in not that I don't remember the exact date but it's it's going to happen soon and I'm not prepared for that inhumane it's inhumane I'm telling you it is um but on a more positive note (laughs) (laughs) I am very excited about this I got an iPad this week so this was kind of like my little graduation gift my I I completed college gift to myself um and so I got just the standard latest generation iPad and the Apple Pencil to go with it because my goal is to have a digital notebook in law school so to not have to worry about um notebooks and things like that anyone who's familiar with law school knows that you have to travel around with like 10 pounds of textbooks every single day so I figured any way that I could alleviate um, my back pain I should probably invest in and that's where the iPad came in but I just got it in the mail literally 48 hours ago at the time that we're recording this and I'm absolutely obsessed with it I think it's the coolest thing in the world and I know iPads are not like brand new like this isn't new (laughs) technology at all and I'm like very late to the game but I highly recommend getting an iPad and getting it with the Apple Pencil I'm literally playing with it right now 
Cheers. Um, I can tell in the video. <laughs> because it, yeah, I was nervous about taking digital notes. I was afraid that, like, they wouldn't be as neat or, like, controlled as handwritten notes. But I took an old notebook from school and just, like, copied a section of the notes into – I'm using OneNote by Microsoft, um, their app for iPad. And it looked pretty freaking similar to me. So I'm very excited to explore what I can do. Maybe I'll become like one of those TikTok artists that makes like the yeah, versions. yeah. You can get into some like hand lettering, some procreate. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Who knows? I could be a freelance artist by the end of this. And we're um we're saving the environment with uh yes. that lack of paper use. So love that. Yes, saving the environment, saving our backs, saving it's everything. Important. It is important. We're getting old. Right. So let's get into, even though that wasn't your favorite, I feel like it is kind of your favorite, but let's get into our real favorites. Yeah. (laughs) So my favorite for this week is a very specific boxed wine. And I know what you're thinking. Anya, we graduated college. We don't need to buy boxed wine anymore. Well, let me tell you, this box wine <laughs> has, I don't know, it's just really good. I don't have an expression that I wanted to go with. Um, has no match, I guess, is what I, I was trying to say. So it is the Block Red Sangria, boxed wine from Trader Joe's. It's in like a cardboard looking box with dark red print. Mm-hmm. And it is just like chef's kiss. It's it's refreshing. It's it's a pre-made sangria, but it's not super sweet. Like I feel like a lot of the pre-made sangrias are. It's like still pretty red wine tasting over some ice. Throw a couple throw a couple citrus pieces in there. Enjoy it on your back porch. I'm telling you, ladies. Wow. Four, four bottles worth, $12. Trader Joe's wine is honestly unmatched. I feel really bad for you if you live in a state where Trader Joe's doesn't sell alcohol. Yeah, well, the Trader Joe's that was near Assumption didn't sell alcohol. And I remember the first time I went to a Trader Joe's in New Hampshire and I saw the alcohol aisle, I was like, this is like heaven's gates literally opening up in front of me. so good. Yeah. It's so good. I feel like I didn't, they don't have, they don't carry a lot of boxed wines, but I feel like I didn't really give them a chance unless I was making like a bulk sangria or something like that. Um, but decided to try this one and it is amazing. And also it lasts for six weeks in your fridge. So just because you buy a boxed wine does not mean it all has to be had that one night at a frat party. It can like withstand time. So let's, um, let's give some justice for the boxed wines, people. (laughs) Let's not, uh, discount them anymore because they're, they're evolving. All right. They're doing great things. I just want people to know. Very true. Um, so my favorite, I'm going to sound like. I'm in retirement and I kind of feel like I'm in retirement, but one of my favorites has been just going on walks, especially with the weather getting nicer. It's finally like consistently in the sixties and sometimes I dare say the seventies outside. And we've had a few days of sun or like overcast skies without any rain. And it's just so nice to be able to like get out and do a lap around my neighborhood. I'm lucky enough to live in a neighborhood that I can very easily go on a walk without it really being a safety concern at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it breaks up your day. It helps you feel a little less trapped because I know a lot of people at this point are starting to feel a little 
antsy and just ready to get back to normal life and get out of, you know, your bedroom in my case or your wherever your working from home space is. But yeah, so if you I'm sure everyone at this point has thought about going on walks. Um, but if if you aren't doing it often, I highly recommend upping your walk quota because I think you'll you'll be happy you did in the end. Yeah, you get some fresh air, you get your steps in and it's a little change of scenery. I actually went on two walks today. I went on one during my lunch break and then one right now. We're recording this in the evening. So I went on one a couple hours ago. And, you know, a couple neighborhood laps, a little, you know, interact with the the neighbor's dog. It's great. Yeah, exactly. You've uh, FaceTimed, audioed me a few times on a walk. You can yeah. chat with a friend. No, that's a really good point to, like, catch up with people during your walk is fun. Yeah. So definitely be doing it if you aren't. Suburbia, man. <laughs> Leads you to do some crazy things. <laughs> it really does. All right. Getting into the main content of this episode, we are here with Sarah Graysdorf, founder of Holdet and BU student, well, former BU student, I suppose. <laughs> so Sarah, why don't you introduce yourself, kind of give us the age college major lowdown. Awesome. Thanks so much. Um, hi, my name is Sarah Graysdorf, and I, yeah, like Anya just said, just finished up at Boston University. I studied computer science, and I'm 20 years old. Oh, I didn't know you studied computer science. Yes. Uh, as the viewers will, uh, the listeners will hear, it has uh, nothing to do with anything that I do now. But uh, yeah, I did just <laughs> finish my degree in computer science. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I kind of just like assumed that it was something like entrepreneur related so that's really interesting that's like a whole nother layer (laughs) yes I I got a minor in innovation and entrepreneurship but kind of tacked that on at the end so cool nice um so just kind of jumping into some of our questions can you tell us a little bit about what hold that is and how you came up with the name for the company yeah, so Hold Debt is my company. Started about three years ago. Um, we make professional workwear that has real pockets for women. Um, a real pocket is a pocket that can hold your phone without the risk of it falling out. Um, and we're doing this because, on average, women's pockets are forty-eight percent shorter, and that's not particularly fair. So, um, yeah, the name Hold Debt. We actually used to be called the Collective. Um, I thought that name was brilliant because I was like, pockets collecting, collectively women want clothes with pockets. And at the time we were like aggregating clothes with pockets from around the internet. And I was like, oh my gosh, we found this name. It encompasses everything I could ever want. It's perfect. And then I wanted to become an LLC and get the trademark. And you can't become an LLC if you violate trademark law. And you violate trademark law when somebody already has your name. Now, uh, you know, you, this is the point of the story in which you realize, like, the collective wasn't going to get us that far. Um, it turns out there were over a thousand registered, the collective trademarks, um, each with a very specific, like, class um, of trademark that they had, like, found their niche in. And I was not trying to, we basically weren't going to be able to do it. So I, at the time, was in a summer accelerator program at BU. And everyone else was making so much progress around me. And I was just sitting there for like days trying to come up with a new name for the company that was like fun and like encompassed what I wanted and like made sense. But also like I could get the trademark first and foremost, and then the domain name and Instagram handle and all of that stuff. And so 
after unsuccessfully trying on my own for several weeks, I put together a focus group, got together 12 uh, women that were uh, in town, basically, and then gave them the prompt and then made them work in groups of two to come up with as many names as they could. And then I would swap them every five minutes. So by the end, we had like 200 (laughs) name ideas and I typed them all up, went back to the list. The very first one on the list was Holdet. And I was like, I love it. Great. We're calling you today. (laughs) that's funny that um well first of all that you mentioned that there's like you guys kind of have a specific definition as to what a real pocket is I love Mm -hmm. that and totally agree that like in my experience there are so many impractical pockets and like on jeggings when they're like not even actual pockets they're just like sewn to look like it that is like the worst (laughs) yeah big injustice I have a pair of pants where like there's two horizontal zippers on the front of them and then you open it and you can like fully open the zipper and then there's basically nothing there and all you can hold is a single bobby pin and it's like I don't need those on a day-to-day basis so yeah I've had ones where the front and the back pockets are fake pockets and I'm like well why even just make them a legging at that point (laughs) what do you expect me to do with this (laughs) yeah um so I guess kind of going off that I'm curious how you came up with the idea and like if there was a specific experience or like a specific moment that inspired you to design more functional workwear for women? Like, was there just one time where you were just so fed up with having like useless pockets or how did that go for you? Sure. So when I was a senior in high school, I was taking a shower one day because that's where I have my very best thoughts. And I was like, how come whenever I leave the house, I have to carry my phone and my keys in my wallet, in my hands, and or in a purse, and none of my male friends have to do that? And I was like, oh my gosh, where are they carrying all their belongings? And then I was like, it's pockets. They have them, and we don't, and that's not particularly <laughs> fair. And so I did an extremely minimal amount of market research, just nothing that would fly with me today. Did like one Google for like clothes with pockets. Found was like, there's nothing out there. And so decided I wanted to do something about it myself. Um, and it's kind of funny looking back now that we're doing workwear specifically, because that only started about a year ago when we decided to launch our own line. But in high school, I had to wear a uniform, um, four out of five days a week. And on Fridays, we got to wear whatever we wanted. And most people would show up in like sweatpants and sweatshirts. And I was, I would always show up in like workwear. I wear like a blazer on Friday and be like, it's fancy Friday. And they're like, you put way too much effort in this outfit. And so um, they were always, all my friends would be like, you know, Sarah, when we get older, you're going to have to help us dress for work. And now I make workwear. So, you know, it, it, it's all kind of come full circle. I was going to say what a full circle moment. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like every, I went to private school in like middle school and I feel like every private school kid has that experience of like the dress down day. And it's like so much pressure on it because it's abnormal. So you have to like really think about that special outfit that you're going to debut for the one time you're not in your plaid skirt. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And I, you couldn't wear the same thing every Friday because then people would think that you had no clothes. So um, right. it was definitely a lot of pressure Thursday night and, and, you know, ultimately Friday morning when I didn't make a decision on Thursday night. So <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, so then I guess we really wanted to ask you about how you got started once you had the idea in place. So obviously, we've mentioned that you went to BU. So how did you utilize school resources? How did you network, get the word out, kind of all that stuff to get the company started? Mm -hmm. So I started sending out a newsletter in January 2018. So that was about six months into my freshman year. And 
at that time I was like sending out this newsletter and it had like four clothes with pockets, dress with pockets, pants with pockets, some kind of theme. And I would send that out every two weeks. Um, February, so about a month after I started doing that, this entire space on campus opened up called the Build Lab with the B and the U capitalized because it's cute like that. Um, <laughs> and then, <laughs> and so they started hosting events. It was like this whole thing it was huge. And I was like, okay, I have to get in there and I have to like get my foot in the door with this place and they know me. And so none of the events, they launched, I think the week of Valentine's Day, none of the events like fit my startup at all. I didn't qualify for like any of them. There was this one though, which was called um, Opposites Attract, and it was, you know, Valentine's Day themed, and it was supposed to be about how you and your co-founder are different in some way. Now, I had no co-founders and I had no teammates, but I desperately wanted to sign up for this event. And so I basically got, it was like a three-hour event, and I basically got four people to commit to like 45-minute blocks. So they would stand next to me at my table and like pretend to be my co-founder. Oh, and, uh, my gosh. And, and so there was this, and so basically the event went on and it was going great. And then we, there was a point in which everyone who was tabling had to go around and say what their company was and say why they were different than their co-founder. And at the time, the girl that was standing next to me was like a friend of a friend who somehow had committed, like convinced to come stand with me. And she was in the College of Communications and I was in the College of Arts and Sciences. And that was our opposite. Like there was nothing more than that. Um, and she like studied marketing, I think. And so um, our opposite was like what our major was. And we really called that a day. And that was how I like stuck into the event. And then basically it's blossomed since then. So that April, I got into the summer accelerator program at BU, did that that summer. Um, they have a whole program within that space called the Innovation Pathway. So you go from like get inspired to walk, run, fly and hit different milestones and you get money along the way. So I did that. I started flying last December, which was exciting. Um, and then there's a fellowship program within the CS department. We have like a free law clinic. So basically, like every free resource that we had, I took advantage of to the absolute maximum. And then I graduated and and I've, I've done everything. And the life, life's awesome. not so free anymore. So <laughs> yeah, it lasted. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that uh, you mentioned how like you didn't find your company fitting in well to any of the like traditional startups because mm -hmm. like as one that works in the startup space I feel like there is so much focus on like very like technical based startups and like innovative like software companies and like apps and like crazy robotics and stuff like that when like a fashion startup is also a startup so like it's mm -hmm. unfortunate that it's like tough to get the recognition that like classic tech like frat boy startups can get easily you know <laughs> totally I've I've often found my startup kind of being on the fringe of like what it means to be a startup which is you know just like we were saying it's kind of unfortunate because we're definitely like following you know a lot of the same footsteps but kind of being fashion focused being community oriented and honestly like not clamoring to get venture capital money in the same way that a lot of startups are there's kind of this whole misconception that like you're only successful once you've raised like a million dollars. And I mean, if you're raising a million dollars, you're giving away probably like 20% of your company. But I, you know, Sarah Blakely, who founded Spanx, still owns 100% of her company. So I'm just trying to be the next Sarah to do that. Um, <laughs> but I, I think for a lot of those reasons, it's been kind of, I don't know what the word would be, countercultural or whatever, the way that I've been running the company, but it's been working out for us so far. Yeah. Awesome. And I guess, um, you mentioned that you did leverage a lot of BU resources towards the beginning. 
Um, but I'm kind of curious to hear, obviously you don't have a great idea yet because it just happened, but kind of how you see the trajectory of Holdet changing as a result of graduating and no longer being so closely aligned with like the BU ecosystem anymore. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I graduated technically Friday, but, um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, I've only just now ventured into the real world, but, um, I, it, it's crazy already what life has looked like since, I mean, I finished the finals the week before. So I've basically been a full-time adult for a week and running the company full-time versus having to balance it with classes and clubs and friends, honestly, has honestly looked so different already. The you know, amount of focus that I'm able to have on what needs to get done. All of my meetings are like just focused on whole debt. It's not like I need to go to a club meeting and now I need to go and like, I mean, we're in quarantine, so I like wouldn't be able to see anyone. But anyway, but like, you know, there's, there's far less distractions and I'm able to focus a lot more on, on what needs to get done. And then my meetings are like with my teammates or, you know, cool opportunities like this that, that I might not have otherwise had time for. And then as far as my community, um, we're in the midst of a crowdfunding campaign right now. And so a, a lot of it has been reaching out to people that have already been in my community to try and get them to support it. Um, but it's been really nice actually to be able to do that, to be able to share about the work that we're doing right now. And then a lot of people have offered to help us kind of connect and grow from there. And, um, really like being a CEO and entrepreneur is just like talking to people and sending emails all day. So, um, I've already gotten a taste of that and it's only been a week. So. I'm looking forward to seeing how many more emails are to come. (laughs) Cool. So I know you mentioned um, that we are in quarantine right now when we're recording. So I'm curious as to how that has affected uh, the company and how you guys meet. And I know you said it's only been, you know, a week of only having to focus on the company, but just kind of what you're noticing, what you think might have been different if you were able to meet in person with people and things like that. Mm Mm-hmm. In a real twist of fate and kind of a silver lining, we've actually, I think, been able to meet a lot more and everyone's had a lot more time to work on the company than they would have otherwise. I mean, like I was saying, there's all those things you have to do when you're on campus and so many more distractions and being at home has actually allowed people to be pretty focused on the company, which is I'm grateful for Um, Mm -hmm. because one of my other teammates just graduated, but everyone else is, is in college. And so, you know, there's a, a lot of things pulling us in a lot of different directions. From a company operations perspective, we've experienced many slowdowns um, due to COVID um, th- between like suppliers and our manufacturer in LA being shut down. Um, and, you know, we've had to kind of work around that, but everyone's everyone that is in our community that might've expected us to launch right, right now is, pretty understand that there's a global pandemic going on so there's there's not a lot of pressure from people to kind of roll stuff out everyone's kind of mm-hmm. understanding about the the timing which has um been really beneficial and it gives us an opportunity to kind of invite people into the process that you know we might have otherwise been been speeding through so it's it's worked out okay yeah nice. i feel like with work um i've also been like kind of learning more about like all the supply chain disruptions that have happened as a result of covid and it's like so interesting, but I think there's a benefit to being domestic, um, like Holdet is, and not having to rely on like an international supply chain as much. So like, I think even if you didn't have the foresight when you were making that decision, I think like localizing it as you have is really useful in situations like this. Um, but I guess kind of pivoting to how Holdet has adapted, I feel like you guys are a cool example because you kind of have taken this time to 
launch a whole new aspect of the company. So um, we know that the core focus of Holdet is eventually producing like tangible female functional workwear. But right now you've been working on this community-based program um, called Back Pocket Membership. So I'd love if you could talk a little more about that. Yeah, I'd love to. So yeah, just like you were saying, we basically were looking at you know, how has work changed since this whole thing went down and how can we best meet our customers now that they're experiencing such a great transition? Um, and so we launched Back Pocket, um, the name coming from the pockets that are, you know, in the suit, but also resources that you'll always have available in your back pocket. Um, and so basically what the membership program is made up of is one-on-one mentoring. So we assign all of our members to a mentor that's a little bit further along in their field to provide career advice, personal advice, advice for your resume, LinkedIn, grad school. And then we meet with everybody on Sundays and we do a whole reflection on the week before. What did we accomplish? Even if it was like drinking two glasses of water a day, like at least you did that. Um, And then we set nine goals for the future so one big goal three middle medium goals five small goals and what they are is completely up to um each person and that and we do it as a group so it's kind of some accountability around like well we're going to know next week if you didn't get your goals done but if you didn't that's okay because next week exists um and then we do professional development workshops so we have one coming up about um, how to organize, how to Marie Kondo your inbox, which I'm super excited <laughs> about. And then uh, we have one uh, coming up also about like how to be an adult, uh, how to brand, like do, build your own personal brand, how to be more sustainable. So kind of spanning the gamut on stuff that you might wonder about right now, but all vaguely career focused and kind of personal development and then our last thing is our podcast club um where we it's kind of like a book club but it's for podcasts so we all listen to a podcast and then we get together we have like discussion questions and we talk about it kind of as if it was a book um but far less time commitment and so basically we have all those things together and then uh, everyone's in a slack group together so you know you can communicate amongst one another and for anyone who's listening um that is kind of an entrepreneur, I would say. Um, I've been told that the difference between like a company and between a community is when the people that are interested in your brand are engaging with one another. And I think that's what really we're, we're trying to achieve right now and we're seeing it happen is, you know, when they form those connections, but it's centralized around your company, then there's a stronger bond made between the consumer and the company. And, you know, getting to facilitate those connections is incredibly personally gratifying to know that people that are in my network and that have entered my network are all getting to kind of meet one another and learn from one another. Um, So it's a really great program. We have an awesome group of members. We have a huge team of mentors. So yeah, it's going really well. I was just going to mention, you said how like there's a connection between when you can use that community base. And then once you're like selling that product, I think, I think that's a really interesting through line because I guess I didn't really think of that I think it's really cool that you guys are a community community based company with an eventual product being launched but I never thought of the fact that consumers will really think about how beneficial a company as a whole is for them and I think it aligns really well with your guys movement so yeah I guess I just never made that connection of oh I can see how these will work really good together good well I'm glad my explanation made sense you've been working on it but um we 
working on the mission statement a lot and kind of what we've been saying is we want to support women from the moment they get dressed from the outside mm-hmm. in. And I feel like a lot of times you're like, oh, you know, you want to like love people from the inside out or whatever. But, you know, we want to start with the suits. We want to make you like look great, feel great. And then how can we, you know, build you up emotionally, professionally, personally to, you know, help you shine even more while you're wearing that suit. Um, and, you know, regardless if people come in, you know, suit first or community first, um, it's kind of all there to support you as you make that transition out of college. Yeah, and I think it's, like, so important to have, like, female mentors in, like, any industry that you're in. But I imagine, like, especially for you with computer science, that might be something that, like, you're noticing such a lack of. Um, just because I know computer science is, like, oddly a very male-dominated major and, like, a lot of engineering and STEM fields as well. So I think it's cool that you're providing an opportunity for girls to, like, expand their physical network one day also and kind of develop some mentors in the space because I know like my my female mentors have been so impactful for me like through my short career and whatnot so um, I think it's cool that like even a brand that was you know just inspired to create clothes with pockets can like have such a meaningful impact in people's like work development or I guess career development so I love that thank you I think it's a real lesson for, you know, starting a company and kind of adapting with what you've had. It it goes back to, to like our like our social media presence is, you know, we launched an Instagram two years ago and we still don't even have a product. And so how do you even think about creating content for something that literally doesn't exist and then trying to get people excited about something like that? And that's kind of, you know, what's been helpful too is like what is who is your consumer who is your customer and what are you trying to sell them but like what does the rest of their life look like and how can you kind of fill the rest of those gaps so that they're not just coming to you once every three months when they need a suit when they need a a new pair of pants and they need a new dress how can they be coming to you every single day because you're you're offering so much extra value around that and you know we try to do the same thing for our Instagram account too you know we don't have any photos of well now we do but we have a photo of the suit but we take photos of women and then you slide and it's like what they wish they could carry in their pocket or we do like stats around women at work or we like highlight our mentors stuff like that that's like a value add beyond the actual product because that's what helps keep people engaged yeah. So speaking of getting engaged, um, curious how the listeners of the pod can get involved with Back Pocket and Hold It and just kind of what avenues there are for the listeners to interact. For sure. So super excited because this is our first uh, podcast quote unquote sponsorship but um, (laughs) we're super excited that you guys are listening to this podcast you know um Anya and Kylie are you know great women who are also entering the workforce for the first time and we hope that your listeners are too and so if you're interested in trying out our membership program you can use a coupon code two degrees hotter and then we'll get you basically a free month of the program so if you just go to hold that.com then you click membership um, you can uh, sign up and enter that code at checkout and we'll get you all hooked up. Wow, our first ever code. <laughs> I know, I didn't realize amazing. that it would just be us. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, we will have all of this linked in the show notes as well mm-hmm. for your convenience. So that is amazing. Um, we yes. hope you guys try it out. It sounds like a really, really cool thing and something you'll hopefully want to continue beyond your first month. So that yeah. is amazing. 
And thank you so much for, for doing that for us. Of course. It's, we're yeah. excited. We're just trying to grow the community. You know, all of our programs are more valuable the more voices that we have. So, um, yeah, we're excited for everybody to get involved. Yeah, it's really exciting. And we really hope everyone takes um, the chance to get involved because I think it could be a really great community experience, like you said. Um, but so to now pivot and talk a little bit more about the suit, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how you form connections with your supply chain and industry professionals to start actually manufacturing a suit. I know for me, I am completely clueless as to how to even start thinking about doing something like that. So I'd love to hear kind of your process. Sure. So uh, I also knew nothing. Like I said, I studied computer science and they don't teach you about how to find supply chain suppliers in those classes. I know we're all shocked. (laughs) And so um, I'm going to be honest, about 90% of what I did over the last year was like Google and um, (laughs) just try to like find people that could be valuable. Um, I think a lot of it is like figure out the material you want and then figure out who has it. Some, a lot of stuff I ran up against was like meeting minimum order quantities for yardage. I ran into suppliers that were like, you need to order 5,000 yards. And I'm like, how many, first of all, how am I going to afford that? Second of all, what am I going to do with 5,000 yards of your fabric? And then you want it to be the right color. Then you need it to be the right fabric weight. And a lot of that was trial and error. I have probably like over a hundred swatches of fabric from fabrics that I chose not to use because it didn't work for whatever reason. I think the kind of most fun story around this whole sourcing process was there's three fabrics that go into a suit. There's the outside, there's the lining, which is like if you open the blazer, what you'd see. And then there's the fabric that goes in between. For the lining, I discovered that I this fabric called Eco Vera, which is made out of wood pulp. And I was like, great, our suit's going to be super sustainable, basically biodegradable. Let me find this fabric. And so I found a supplier based in China that had a 500-yard minimum order quantity, um, meaning I had to order 500, and like that was the least I could order. And again, what was I going to do with 500 yards of fabric? And so I basically emailed, they had an office in New York, emailed with their office in New York that got connected with a salesperson in China. And they're like, we'll give you, I think they agreed to give me like eight yards as sample yardage. But I needed like 20 to make all the samples that I needed to do before we could go into production. So that was about half as many as I needed. So they happened to have a little thing in their email description, which was like, we're going to be at this like trade show. Check us out. I had no intention of going to this trade show. But as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, what if I go to the trade show and then, you know, hunt them down and then convince them to give me more fabric? So basically got two of my teammates, woke up at four in the morning on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, had just moved back in after winter break to campus, brought my family's car down, woke up at four in the morning, picked up my teammates, drove to New York City in four hours and got out of the car, went to this trade show, found the supplier, got the contact information from a new sales rep. Two weeks later, three weeks later, Chinese New Year ended. Then the coronavirus happened. Then they started opening again. Now, I tried to email the people, but the problem is that every every time I emailed, I had to wait like 24 hours to hear back because they're 12 hours different, and then I would have to go to bed, and then they would wake up, and then I would go to sleep. So you get the whole thing. It took like two days. It was taking weeks to hear back. So I was like, okay, great. I'm just going to call. The problem is that um, they were in China, and I do not speak. Cantonese or Mandarin. And so I called at 9 p.m. 
9 or 10 p.m. my time so that it was daylight there. You know those things when you call and it's like, press two to connect to this person. Press three. I didn't understand a single thing that was said. <laughs> Clicked through random numbers and was like, hi, I'm looking for Helen, my contact person. And they're like, said something. I don't know what. And then eventually I got through to Helen and I was like, Helen, I need like 12 more yards of this fabric. She was like, okay, let me con. She spoke English, which is great. So she then connected with her supervisor. They then... I then had to call back 30 minutes later. This whole thing ended up costing $40. Who the nail? And then, uh, basically, oh long story God. short, I got an additional 12 yards of this fabric. Only for us to then make the suit. And then my the person who made the sample to be like, oh, by the way, this fabric sucks. So um, that took um, approximately five months in total from the moment I started. And this is a real lesson in tenacity and grit. But basically... Um, everything's extremely difficult and it's a super trial and error and it'll suck all the time but like at the end you'll get a suit so it's worth it that's what I was gonna say I feel like that's like a real you really tested your your own patience there like you really finessed that um but good for you good for putting yourself out there making the drive I feel like um even if it didn't end up being the fabric that you guys used I'm sure you gained some some valuable knowledge whether it be how to operate a Chinese uh telephone tree situation so (laughs) yeah the trade show was definitely a good like exposure into that world I was objectively the youngest person there but um it was still fun to to tramp around and my my badge said like CEO and founder that's right (laughs) well you are so we kind of talked about industry knowledge and kind of how you went about finding the information of how you wanted to produce the suit and everything. Um, But I guess we're pivoting a little here, but I'm curious um, that there is this like sustainability aspect to it and that you were like seeking out a specifically sustainable fabric and like how, how that plays into like your greater mission and like how that's a priority of whole debts. I think when I think about our role in the greater clothing landscape I mean so many pieces end up in landfills because they're made out of synthetic fibers and those are basically made out of oil which is then turned into plastic which is then threaded into clothes and so any clothing that we have and you know most of my closet is made out of this because I only became recently wear and didn't throw away all my clothes because that would make the problem worse but I mean a lot of our clothes are will just like never go away they just like mm-hmm. forever will exist but we make thousands and thousands and thousands of millions of new pieces of clothing every year and so when you make a product that is ultimately making the planet worse i'm not quite sure how you really ration that to yourself you know what i mean and totally. you know i'm 20 years old and i'm starting a company for the first time why not take the extra time and the integrity to try to find the most sustainable fabric that I can that'll work for my suit. And it's really hard because I, you know, we talked about those minimum order quantities. Like I can't meet a lot of them for these sustainable fabrics because there's been so little innovation in this space that uh, they produce like a certain quantities of it and only stock it in certain stock these fabrics in certain places and so that's why i had to go all the way to try to find this certain fabric and then there's this like interlining that is the, like basically the only sustainable one on the market 
and is based in Europe and they won't even stock in the United States for me. And then so I think for us, sustainability is really like trying your absolute hardest to be as sustainable as possible. And then as you can improve, do so. Because I want to get this super sustainable interlining fabric from Europe, but I can't right now until we sell more and we like are able to produce more suits. But then I can hope that, you know, if I can eventually get to this point in which I can source this fabric from Europe, that that will then tell them that there's a demand for it. And that will then eventually help to like lower the cost, lower the minimum order quantity. And then I can help brands in the future be able to do this. But, you know, we're building a company that's, you know, meant for this next generation of women. I think it's our duty to build a, to not make the planet worse for them. And honestly, like I'm, our end consumer. I'm 20 years old. I'm entering the workforce for the first time. And so, you know, I want to create a planet that I want to live in. And so I think you have to make intentional choices when it comes down to the fabrics you're using, because, you know, that garment could exist on the planet for the rest of the earth's existence. Snaps for that. I know. I, uh, <laughs> as an environmental studies major, my heart is like singing. Um, and that's on fast fashion and that's on economies of scale, baby. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So I love that. <laughs> yeah. I'm Thank not you. an environmental science major and I'm like, I'm rooting for you in the corner. I think it's really great that you acknowledge that you do have the ability to make it as sustainable as possible. And I think that's all anyone could ever ask for really is just doing your best. So I I think you have a really great outlook on that. And we love sustainable fashion over here on two degrees hotter. So big Everlane awesome. gals. Big Everlane gals. <laughs> um but so getting to like the actual suit debut, I know you guys recently posted it on your social medias, which is really exciting. And I know you kind of talked about how um with the pandemic, this has kind of disrupted the timeline a little bit, but can you give us insight into a rough timeline for when we could see the suit on the market? Mm -hmm. So we're manufacturing in LA. We're trying Mm -hmm. to do as much in the United States as possible. Um, One, kind of getting back to that sustainability, the more local to our end consumer we are, the lower the carbon footprint. So we're manufacturing in LA, which is great long-term, short-term, LA is shut down right now. So basically, we're running this crowdfunding campaign right now to be able to fund the first run of suits. The crowdfunding campaign ends June 19th, at which point, hopefully, we've raised all the funds that we need to be able to then launch. Um, And then I'm kind of hoping that manufacturing could be up and running by like July, but I know like nothing about uh, how pandemics run their course. Mm-hmm. So um, I, my hope is that we could have suits by August, September, because from a sales perspective, September and January are when most people buy their clothes. So um, especially something like a suit, which is like long sleeves, long pants, um, that would be especially beneficial from us for us. But uh, for anyone that's listening and wants to get their hands on a suit, you can uh, place an order through the crowdfunding campaign. Um, and that's how we're basically taking orders for right now is, you know, you get your suit and it helps us be able to fund the whole production of them. So I don't know, September, but if it was up to me, it, it would be much sooner. So I guess kind of pivoting this conversation as a whole um, we want to talk a little bit more about your college experience and just like high level how would you describe your college experience? How is BU? Um, if you don't have the background, 
it's kind of funny because like as far as Boston school rivalries go, my school Northeastern and BU like allegedly have a rivalry. I know BU doesn't really agree with it, but curious to hear about your time there. Um, yeah, Northeastern thinks they have a rivalry and uh, we don't. So it's unfortunate <laughs> that they think that for their own sake. But um, I adored my time at BU. I was really able to make the most of my time there. I think I really sucked as much out of my college experience as I possibly could have. And I think a lot of that is just due to the opportunities that BU makes available if you choose to participate in them. So I am someone who basically is always overcommitted and uh, that enabled me to do many, many things while I was in college. And I'm really grateful for that. I think that if you go to college, you just sit in the classroom for three to four years that you're quite honestly wasting your time because I, there's so much to do while you're there and you're at such a special time in which like you are potentially living on campus or very close to campus and the pressures that you have to deal with like are just so much fewer and so basically I like ran a hackathon which is like a 24-hour programming competition um I was I like organized five of those during my time in college but I was director for one year and I um was in like a religious life group I had an on-campus job my whole time in college I ran a TEDx conference. Um, like I did like a lot of different things because I, I just there was so much to do and being in a city there was there was you know even more to do than potentially a rural college. Um, but yeah, I just like absolutely adored my experience and I chose to cut it a year short, so that's kind of on me. But um, you know, there's many more things I want to get to that you know not having to sit in the classroom will give me a little bit more time to do. Sure. Um, So then, obviously, like you said, you were very committed during your time in college. So would you say that gave you an edge in starting your company? Was it helpful at all? Could you talk a little bit about that connection? Mm -hmm. I think what was most valuable was the number of people that I was able to meet. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, because there's this whole saying, like, you know, don't talk about your company or someone's going to steal your idea. I mean, besides like Mark Zuckerberg, like that basically never happens because <laughs> um, <laughs> like nobody just like nobody cares about your idea the way that you do. It's like basically your baby and like no one's coming along to just like adopt that child. You know what I mean? So um, <laughs> you have to like, <laughs> you have to like, you know, push it forward. No one else is going to do that for you. But what I got kind of like lucky in a sense is that, I like never stopped talking about my company um, through like everything that I did. I was basically just always talking about it. People would be like, how are you, Sarah? And I'd be like, I'm good. And they're like, household debt. So um, that was helpful because everybody knew that I was working on it. And so if someone had like a helpful resource or a helpful connection or a piece of advice, then they just like were able to give it to me. And there was no, you know, I was, I was just able to touch and interact with so many people that then were able to like, feed into me and hold it. And I think that was really helpful, especially, you know, to get into the like gritty details. Like when you start fundraising and doing a crowdfunding campaign, like money angels don't exist. People don't just come around and like drop money into crowdfunding campaigns. It's literally who you knew. And so I got lucky. I mean, in college I met hundreds of people. And so when I needed to go do something like this, A, everybody knew who I was that I wasn't reaching out to. And then they knew what whole debt was already. And so um, I was able to have a pretty broad reaching 
network when it came to that. I don't think you should like just become friends with people so that they'll give you money, but um, it definitely like, you know, worked out. <laughs> um, and people to buy into the mission and so when you go and do something like a crowdfunding campaign or you launch a membership program you know people are excited to participate because if they care about you and they support you um i think that having to manage so many things kind of gave me um the ability to know how to focus when i needed to focus and the uh, the ability to discern when i wanted to commit my time to something i think there's this you know it's pretty easy to like just pick up any opportunity that comes your way, but you, you do that, you end up just getting burnt out. And so I was, I think I've developed a real sense of, you know, this is what I'm going to commit to. This is what I don't have the time to commit to. And when you're running a company, you have to be able to discern that kind of thing pretty easily because there's just like a million things you have to decide at once all the time. Um, and then I ran the hackathon, which I was basically managing a team of 30. So now I ran, manage a team of eight comparatively such a light load so um even though the work is uh much harder <laughs> um but yeah I think there were a lot of ways in which my time in college prepared me um but yeah I mean ultimately like all that was a big part of my college experience but there were many nights when I wasn't working on Holdet and I was just like hanging out with my roommates in our apartment and we were cooking or like watching YouTube videos or just like doing nothing so totally it was balance. um yeah and it's cool that you touched on like the importance and the power of saying no and like figuring out where like your value add is worthwhile. Um, and you talked a lot about your network and how it's helped you, but, um, I'm kind of curious to hear if you have any like strategies surrounding keeping that network active. Um, even if you're not necessarily going to be based in the Boston area anymore and kind of like maybe how social media can help with that. And, um, just kind of like what your plan is. Wow, what a free opportunity to plug LinkedIn. LinkedIn is my <laughs> social media. Um, such a fun place. If you don't have one, you should definitely make one. Um, but I mean, honestly, like, yeah, like I, I've added basically everyone I've ever met on LinkedIn before. And then I update everybody on my company and on my life on there, like one might on Instagram, but, you know, different kind of content. Um and that's a good way to keep people engaged. What I will say, it's kind of a different kind of network. But if you have um, mentors or advisors that, um, and you're starting a company or you're doing some kind of work or really anything, um, I would send out a mentor and advisor update email. So I do that every two weeks, roughly, oh, wow. to um, to a list of, I think, maybe 10 slightly plus people. And so whenever I set up a mentor call with one of those people, they know exactly what's happening with my company and I don't have to catch them up on four months of progress since the last time we talked. And then I do like asks in those emails as well. Like, Hey, you know, I need help connecting to someone in XYZ space. Do you know somebody? And then 10 people of 10 extremely qualified and very accomplished people are, that are on my list are like getting this ask that I need. And then sometimes they like respond and it's really helpful. So if you're thinking about starting something, definitely start an email list like that as soon as possible and then you know to be like I don't know honest about like what it means to like be 20 like I think and I think the pandemic like accelerated this is like we're graduating it's already pretty obvious like which people you're gonna talk to after you graduated which people like were college friends and I think that's like super sad and like nobody talks about it because it's like mm -hmm. awkward but the same thing happened when we like graduated high school you know what I mean like mm -hmm. there are people that you talk to and there's people that you not talk you don't talk to anymore and I think 
part of being 20 is like discerning who you want to continue to give your time to and the people who continue to give you their time because I think it needs to go both ways and seeing how those relationships change and shift is is you know what it means to graduate and become an adult so but yes you touched very briefly on me moving to New York that's a dream right now we'll see when it's no longer the epicenter of the virus (laughs) yeah for sure I definitely I ditto everything about LinkedIn I've I was late to the LinkedIn game I didn't make one until like my junior year of college I would say but it's so useful and you just feel so like put together when you have your little LinkedIn page <laughs> with all your stuff. Um, we should all connect. I'm surprised we, we didn't should already. Oh my gosh, definitely send me a connection request. And what I'll tell you is the day, so I know this podcast isn't being released for a little bit. Today I started our uh, Hold That TikTok account. I know we talked about it the other week. Um, <laughs> I did it. I put it, it was one of my goals on Sunday with the Back Pocket Group. I was like, my fly goal, which is like our big goal, is like to start the Hold That TikTok. So I did. And today's TikTok was, about how to find somebody's email on LinkedIn because it's not a publicly available fact. So mm. everyone hit up the <laughs> everyone hit up the whole that TikTok for those yes. career tips. I definitely will be. <laughs> um, so you started to talk a little bit ha- about how you plan to move to New York City. Um, so I was wondering if you could kind of give us insight into your five-year plan, kind of what it doesn't necessarily have to be five years, but just kind of the near future, how you hope to see things develop um, over Mm -hmm. time. It's actually like so funny that you asked this because I read this, I mean, it's like Boston business women group and someone commented the other day and was like, for anyone that like made a five-year plan in 2015, like, wow, you were wrong. And (laughs) um, it's just like such a good reminder that we have absolutely no idea what the future holds. But if it were completely up to me and nothing was standing in my way, um, uh, in New York, we'd have a whole that office. It would be beautiful, super aesthetic. I'd have a great team of employees that I was able to pay. And uh, we'd have a full workwear line. Our membership program would be off the charts. We would have city-based membership programs. So basically like, I have this fear that I'm going to move to New York City and not make any friends, which is probably rational. I'm quite extroverted, but I have friends <laughs> who are like, who are like, um, I'm moving to Seattle and I'm worried I'm not going to make any friends. And so I, I have this like great big dream that anyone in the membership program would also be like city affiliated. And so all the girls that like lived in Seattle, for example, my friend's now moving to Seattle. She already has that network to plug into of women who are like excited to be her best friend. And so kind of like a sorority, I was never in a sorority, but I, I explained this idea to someone the other day. And she's like, Oh, like a sorority. So like, sure. And so <laughs> there's, there's this like group of people who are like so excited to be your friend and help you navigate this like next stage of your life. And then as women grow up, there's now this whole like aspect built in because these women have been in the city longer and then when you travel if you want to like go out to the happy hour that like the chicago group is hosting you can like i i my like life mission i think is to connect women and then support them in in all of their dreams and so if i can do that on like a national scale that would like you know make my heart just just explode and then meanwhile like everyone's wearing a whole that suit so like you know it all fits in um that sounds amazing. That sounds like um, a the wing meets yeah. a Sigma Delta Tau meets like a workwear line. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I exactly, I know. I'm a member of the wing, but the thing is, first of all, there's such a high paywall to get in. And then, yeah. and so it, 
for I think a lot of women our age, unless your company is sponsoring it. And I got this whole like pilot program thing. So that's how I got in at like a more reasonable rate. But unless your company's paying for it, like what 22 year old is paying like $185 to do that? Like nobody. So, um, and I think that it needs to be more than like just a place to work. I think it needs mm-hmm. to be like, like I think it needs to be friendship focused instead of like work focused mm-hmm. but I do wait let me actually elaborate on my original five-year plan I also have this goal that one day we'll open a retail store but then in the back of the store it's going to be like um startup workspace so that female founders that want to start their own companies can start them at the back of our store oh that's another idea that I had yeah the future like you must have um some like really detailed vision boards going because I feel like you had such a like <laughs> If someone asked me, I would be like, oh, I don't know. Like, I'd probably have a dog. Like, I, I feel like you have such, like, a detailed view of, like, what you want your life to look like, which is good. That's what you're supposed to do. But I feel like I need to take some advice and, like, visualize some stuff a little more. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's, like, I just, like, call my teammates at all hours of the day. And I'm like, great, I've had an idea. And then this is how we're going to implement it. And they're like, okay. So <laughs> They're like, for um, sure, for sure. It, um, yeah, it goes both ways sometimes. But there's, like, there's, like so many ideas floating around all the time. Yeah. And that's like, that's like the environment that you want to be in, I feel like. Um, So you mentioned your teammates and how you guys kind of have like a very active relationship and everything. So um, I guess I'm curious, like how you plan to stay involved with those people, because I'm assuming a lot of them are probably like having BU ties and are probably like Boston based themselves and just kind of how you plan on like keeping all of those relationships and that base like relevant outside of college. Mm-hmm. So three, so four of so those eight of us right now, four of us went to BU. Me and one of the other gals are both graduating this year. And then two of the rest, two of the, the other two girls are in comp. Then I have my friend from high school who goes to George Washington University. I have our fashion designer who goes to the University of Cincinnati. I have our finance person who goes to Northeastern. And I have our graphic Ooh. designer who goes to the University of Chicago. So... Uh, never really had a problem being a remote team because we've always been a remote team I think there's this whole like ah transitioning to being online because of COVID like we didn't really have that we always met online anyways even the BU girls didn't meet together when we had like weekly meetings we just like sit in our dorm room yeah um and so I'm not all that concerned about moving and losing those relationships and I think that at this point our newest teammate has been here for about a month but a lot of them have been there been here since like late 2019 there's like such buy-in I think from all of them to just like honestly see how it all turns out that regardless of where I am they'll be here here being the company mm-hmm. um so I'm not, not all that concerned you know if they <laughs> find a better opportunity elsewhere you know best of luck but um uh, I adore each and every one of them so much and I literally would be nowhere without them they it's so interesting. I was such, I was like a solopreneur, solo entrepreneur for so long that I didn't even know what I was missing. And then I got all of them and they joined the team and they've, they've changed like what it even means to be running this company in like such a exponential way. I hope they listen to this podcast, but um, (laughs) then like a love letter over text message, like constantly. But um, I, concerned about moving that and then affecting our relationship i mean long term i'd love for them to be in this whole that office that i've painted in this five-year plan but um they have to all graduate from college first so (laughs) (laughs) that is a prereq yes (laughs) um so i know 
Anya and I have talked a lot about how, so I know for me, I look at my high school resume or like the resume that I applied to college with and it's completely useless now. I would never show it to anyone for any serious undertaking. Um, So I'm wondering if we've talked a lot about your involvement in school, how or what are your tips for keeping your college um, accomplishments and your college extracurriculars valuable after graduating? Mm -hmm. Such a great question. I just redid my resume. And so this is perfect. I think what's super important is targeting your resume to the kind of jobs that you're applying for. And whether that means overly highlighting a particular thing that you did in like a college club or an internship, so be it, right? So let's say you were a member of a club when you were in college and you like ran their Instagram account. Now you're applying for jobs as social media coordinator. Like your job in the club was now like social media coordinator. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not telling you to lie, but like, first of all, who are they going to go check with? Second of all, if you have them, <laughs> that, that's all they're... That's all that matters to do the job. You know what I mean? And so don't undersell yourself just because you think that it was like in college and so it doesn't matter. Every single thing that you've learned along your journey is like incredibly relevant to who you are as a person and to what your skill set is now. So market yourself and uh, highlight the skills that are relevant. And um, I think you haven't had a full-time job yet at that point. so. Anything that you've done in college, I think it's fair game to be on the resume. Um, just like when you were in high school, like freshman year when you were applying to internships, anything that was on your resume was relevant. Maybe when you're like two years out of um, college, like start changing it up a little bit. But um, I think especially put internships, add some clubs, um, any particular positions you held in clubs would be like especially um, relevant to add. Um and also, most people probably look at your LinkedIn before they look at your resume anyway, so just update your LinkedIn. So true. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's all the questions that we had prepared for this interview section, and we kind of wanted to end off our very first guest appearance with a little game of this or that. So um, Sarah hasn't seen these yet, so this should be fun and candid. Um, I think we're just going to give you five, so... Um, I'll start by asking early bird or night owl early bird are you I feel like you're like a 5 a.m person I was gonna say not five (laughs) I am back on campus I would go to 305 fitness which is this amazing dance cardio dance cardio party workout hit training class amazing and I would go at 7 a.m most days to that class so I was like basically at a club at like 7 a.m in the morning um but Love now I do it at eight. I do it at eight now, so I've toned it down a little bit. But um, at night, I literally fall asleep at like ten thirty. I've been trying to do movie nights with my friends, and we like start a movie at ten, and I'm like asleep like halfway through, and I like don't even know what the plot is anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um. So our second one is money or fame. I'm gonna say fame because hopefully I'm famous for something that's helped a lot of people, and they've all benefited as opposed to, like, my own personal wealth. Because that doesn't help a lot of people. Um, It's funny because for me, I actually was, when I was thinking about this and we were making this list, I picked money because I was thinking of it from, like, a philanthropic standpoint. Mm. Um, But I feel like, yeah, exactly. Um, So the next one is relaxing vacation or structured sightseeing vacation. 
Oh, structured sightseeing. <laughs> totally, I agree. <laughs> I'm incredibly type A all the time. <laughs> I wish I could not be, but I, I am. I hear you on that. Um, so the next one is go out or stay in. I'm going to say go out, but I think there's really a time and a place to stay in, but I just don't mm-hmm. see a world in which I could stay, stay in right now when I've been staying in for three months. So <laughs> Fair enough. That's true. <laughs> we didn't think of the context <laughs> with that one. <laughs> Um, and then the last one is hotel or Airbnb? Hotel, because I like to feel fancy. Um, and I feel like that's what I like to do on vacation is like those, you know, plush comforters and the pillows and that kind of thing. But I do see the, I like the, as a, as a college student, you know, Airbnb. But uh, I obviously am famous after these questions. So um I'll now say I'll say hotel (laughs) yeah it's funny because um apparently the way that they make I've heard this I don't know how true it is but allegedly the way they make hotel beds so comfortable is that they double stuff the duvet covers so there's actually two duvets and that's why they're so like luxurious so just try it out in your own home yeah life hack that'd be a great tiktok video (laughs) (laughs) put it on this whole day I consent you can have my uh you can have my ip Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that kind of concludes this episode of Two Degrees Hotter. We want to say thank you so much to Sarah for being our yeah. first guest. Yes. Thank you so much, thank Sarah, so for much. coming. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This was such a blast. And I hope to see you all on Back Pocket. Yes. So we will link um, the Instagram, the website. We will link all the resources you'll need in the show notes to get involved mm-hmm. and uh, keep following up on all the progress Holdet is making and get yourself a suit. Treat yourself. Treat yourself to some workwear. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you, yeah, Sarah. Thank and you. we'll talk to you all next Tuesday. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.